Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our live broadcast. It seems to me that um, the discussion about not broadcasting every night was was understood to actually be a decision. It wasn't a decision. We're still going to do, or I'm still going to do daily broadcasts, at least for the near future. If any change comes, I'll let you all know. But I think um, I think nightly broadcasts is, is fine. Just as long as you're all fine with some of them being short, you know. Sometimes I'll just come on and say good evening and give some brief teaching, or some nights maybe just answer questions. It's very easy for me to sit here and answer questions, to actually come up with something to talk about. Well, some nights it might be, I might, might just have other things on my plate. Anyway, tonight we are looking at Anguttara Nikaya, Num Book of Threes, number 49 or 50, I don't know. The English says 49, the Pali says 50. So if you're following along with Bhikkhu Bodhi, it's number 49 in the Book of Threes. Ardor, or as the Americans say, Ardor, without the U. If it looks funny, it's because I'm not American. Ardor. Ardor is an interesting word. Um, it's, it'd be nice to have a different one because ardor is, has different connotations in English, but it's the best because the word atapi or, or atapi or atapa, right? Atapa. Atapa comes from uh, temperature, right? That's the same word as same root as the English word temperature. Atapa yeah. comes from atapa. Atapya, which becomes atapa. So the, the idea is in, in India, exertion was seen as, was described as, as being energetic. So in English, we we have that with ardor, right? But we don't use it exactly in the same way. We don't think of work as, or effort as, as getting hot about something. Right? Think of getting hot about something or heated up is either to do with lust or anger, which is not exactly what, uh, not at all what the, the Buddha is referring to or not how it's used in Pali. But ardor can also mean uh, energy or ener energetic effort. So the meaning here is atapankarniyam is what the Buddha says. There are three, three, um, three things or three subjects, three topics on which one should cultivate atapankarniyam. Karniyam means should be done Atapa is ardor or effort. And um, I think this is a fairly interesting teaching. I mean, the Buddha taught uh, different 
reactions to uh, to the various problems that we had, or challenges that we're facing, or the, the various aspects of the cause of suffering. So in certain instances, one should exert oneself. In certain, in certain instances, one should restrain oneself. In certain instances, one should um, continue. One should... Um, not push or not not retreat but one in certain cases one should simply continue the way one has been going and in certain cases one should um, cultivate dispassion so sort of not give uh, take out the the zeal for something so not exactly restraint but uh, abandonment i guess anyway different ways of looking at how you deal with defilements and i think that's a valid thing to say because here it this only tells part of the story and it tells the part of the story in these three things um where the salient quality or the the outstanding quality is is effort and so whether that means anything or not but it appears that there are these three are especially um relating to uh, exertion because actually there are four 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 great exertions right but here they here only two are mentioned so the buddha says in regards to unarisen evil states uh, one should cultivate effort for their non-arising right simple enough if uh, they haven't arisen, one should work hard to make sure they don't arise. For unarisen, wholesome dhammas, one should work hard for their arising. And one should work hard for cultivating adiwasanaya. Adiwasana. Adiwasana, which means um, bearing with vasana means to live or to dwell and adi means on top of or with you know, uh, while they are existing one should cultivate forbearance or, or, or the ability to bear with arisen painful feelings in the body that are harsh and unpleasant, racking, sharp, piercing, harrowing, disagreeable, sapping one's vitality. Sapping one's vitality, that's interesting. Sapping one's vitality should probably read Banaharang, should probably read um, Life Threatening. I think sapping one's vitality is, that's uh, it. It's not how we, I like to translate this like this. The point is, even when the painful feelings could potentially kill you, you know, even when they seem deadly, I don't know, that's how it's normally translated. Bhikkhu Bodhi has chosen banaharang, banaharanam to mean sapping vitality, which is, I'm not convinced. I think the Buddha is trying to make a point that 
um, once you cultivate the ultimate equanimity. I'm not quite sure why these three. The thing about the Nguttara Nikaya is sometimes the in the book of twos, threes, even fours and fives, you have lists that are incomplete. And I think generally the reason why they're incomplete is given um, as being that in later books, well, in later books there, there are more of them, but that in certain instances only certain qualities were were important for the audience. Right? The Buddha uh, tailored his teaching according to the audience. So sometimes he would highlight certain teachings. Either that or as I said, it might be that these ones are specifically relating to effort. Because you've got the unarisen, unwholesome states. You know? So there's the, when you have the potential still to get angry about things, when you have the potential still to get attached to things, you work hard to stay mindful so that that doesn't happen. right? But then the same goes with arisen unwholesome states. If evil has arisen in your mind, if you are angry, if you are addicted to something, when they do arise, you strive to be mindful, to not let them continue, to cut them off, to, to take away their their nourishment that what is that which is feeding them which is the the, the repeated um, the repeated application of the mind to the same as the same state of mind you, by changing it to objectivity to seeing seeing it for what it is and so on and so you have it both ways whether it's unarisen don't let them arise Arisen, cut them off. And the same goes with wholesome. You know, here the Buddha talks about giving rise to wholesomeness. Work hard to make wholesome qualities arise. So through mindfulness, mindfulness is something we work hard to make arise, but through mindfulness, through the, the hard work we do of mindfulness, we work hard to cultivate all sorts of wholesome states. Wisdom, um, concentration, effort, confidence. Uh, you work hard to cultivate wholesome states. But the same goes with wholesome states that have already arisen. You have to work hard to keep them. So there are four right efforts based on unarisen or arisen, wholesome and unwholesome. Here the Buddha only, only talks about two of them which is curious, but um, it's relating to things that have unarisen. And the, the, the most important point here is that what is nice about this teaching is that you've got, you've got these effort in regards to wholesomeness, effort in regards to unwholesomeness, but what about in regards to uh, your circumstance? The third one, what this teaching points out is that we're not exerting effort to change our circumstance, right? Because what's the third one? The third one is being patient with everything else, basically. What are we working hard to change? People would say, you know, what, what do you work for in life? Well, you work to be happy, to get rid of your suffering, right? Not really. In Buddhism, that's not actually the focus of our practice. You know, we talk about being free from suffering and being happy. And that's kind of the goal, you could say. But, I mean, it definitely is the goal. But in a practical sense, it's not the 
uh, present goal. It's not what we're trying to do. It's not how we're approaching experience. When there's suffering, you're in no way, shape, or form trying to work hard to get rid of it. Absolutely not. In fact, it would be to your detriment to in two ways. It would be to your detriment um, because of the quality of aversion that it would cultivate, but it would also be to your detriment because suffering is what's going to teach you. If you get rid of suffering, or if you try to get rid of suffering, not only are you going to cultivate aversion, but you're also missing on an opportunity, uh, an opportunity to see your aversion, to see how you react to suffering, and to learn the difference between suffering and aversion, that suffering is just suffering, or experiences like pain and so on, or just experiences. So the real point, I think, that's that, that we should highlight in this teaching is that all we have to focus on is wholesome and unwholesome. We're not concerned about pain or happiness. Happiness and pain, happiness and suffering, these are to be seen as experiences. They arise and they cease. They're not to be judged or reacted to. And that's another thing that's missing here from, from the third one. In the third teaching, the Buddha talks simply about being patient with uh, unpleasant feelings, but what we don't think of uh, too often is the Buddha's teaching on how to be on how we have to be patient with pleasant feelings, and this is this is a very much a very important part of the Buddha's teaching. Not only do we have to be patient with suffering, but we have to be what one would call patient with happiness, and it's the same um, the same state and the same quality of mind. Because it's a reaction either way. It's, it's, it's the um, changing of the mind to, to give up our inclination to react. When we experience unpleasant feelings, our inclination is to immediately uh, retreat, you know, recoil from them. When we experience pleasant feelings, our immediate inclinations to seek them out, to incline towards them, to gravitate towards them. And true and patience, true patience is being able to deal with both. You know, being able to bear with both. So it's like the dog, you know, this trick where you put a bone, a milk bone on the dog's nose, and if the dog is really well trained, it won't snap it. It'll sit there and wait until the owner says, okay, go for it, and then it will eat it. Training the dog, training the mind to be like, uh, to be well trained, just like you train the dog. No, training the mind to, to let go, really. And patience is such an important part of the practice. Very much, it's very much the feeling that a meditator should have throughout the practice, that they're being patient. And it feels like they're burning off defilements. It's another good thing about adapi. Adapi in traditional Buddhist circles is described, why, why we use the word, the word relating to temperatures, because you're burning up the defilements. And patience is the great way. The Buddha said, kanti paramangata bodhidika. Patience is the best form of tapa, tapa being another form of the word adapi. It's the same root, same basic form. Tapas, tapas is, is really means temperature or heat. 
Uh, but what you're doing is you're burning up defilements and you burn them up through patience. When you want something and instead you're patient about it, you can feel that even the physical, the chemicals will bubble and boil inside. All of these chemicals waiting to, waiting to, to engage and bring about states of pleasure. And when something unpleasant comes, there's the tension in the body and you can feel the tension and the, the, the um, habitual reactivity waiting to strike, waiting to get upset, waiting to get angry. And instead you're patient with it. This is what you should feel in the meditation. You should feel patient. You should feel like you're burning up the defilements just by sitting with them just by sitting with the things that normally make you make you react. So three types, three types of effort. If you want to learn about effort, effort as it relates to wholesomeness, effort as it relates to unwholesomeness, and effort as it relates to being patient with everything else. Because the only two things that are really important are wholesomeness and unwholesomeness. Cultivating wholesomeness um, destroying unwholesomeness and being patient with everything else, which is really the same thing. It's a part of the same thing. So that's our teaching for tonight. I don't know if Robin, oh, Robin didn't come tonight. Maybe she took it seriously that we're not supposed to have, that I said we're not going to have them overnight. It doesn't matter. I think we don't have any old questions. I did scroll through and I think our first one is this evening from uh, Glenys. When I start to think about the knowledge in your videos and then note that I am thinking, the act of noting stops the thinking. I can't note and think at the same time. Mm. But don't I want to be able to think about the knowledge? No, not really. Um, I would say the knowledge is meant to evoke something in you and that to trigger something and i would say that's enough the point is to encourage you to say to yourself thinking thinking that's really the point of all the teaching if you consider what i was teaching just now hopefully the understanding you get from it is that oh now i have to cultivate mindfulness or i have to work harder at cultivating mindfulness i would say if you have to spend time mulling it over thinking about it you know, in a worldly sense, that's fine, and it, it's important for things like teaching or things like explaining it to others, you know, figuring out what is the best way to explain. I mean, the Buddha, it's not that the Buddha didn't think or that arahants don't think. And I guess that's the really the, the, the point is that you're not always, you know, not necessarily always supposed to be meditating. I mean, there are other times where you want to do other things. So if you want to teach someone, well, instead of meditating, you have to think. You know, no, you have to meditate as well, but there will be a portion of time where you have to think, what am I going to teach tonight? You know, of course, much more important is that you're meditating. There's no question there. But um, for things like teaching, explaining to others, and even sometimes for stepping back and evaluating your practice, sometimes you have to think. So at that time, you don't meditate. That's all. But um, it's, it's not really, none of that's really necessary if you're just 
able to you know, be mindful. You're able to say to yourself, thinking, thinking, and it disappears. Well, that's great. You're starting to see that everything arises and ceases. You're starting to teach yourself that even our minds are arising and ceasing all the time. But no, there will just be times where you just think, so don't worry about that. At that time, you're not meditating. Wow, one question tonight. I think I scared everyone away by saying I wasn't going to do it every night. We'll see. I'm going to wait a couple of minutes because there's a delay, I think. So I have to wait for... Wait a minute, at least. More questions. Come, I'll answer them. Look, we got a big, long list of meditators tonight. Must be like 20. More than 20. We got Canadians, we got Americans, we got India, uh, Mexico, Sri Lanka, another Mexico. Romania, New Zealand, Norway, Mauritius, is that for real? We got someone from, I don't even know where that is, Mauritius, Mauritius? Hmm. Wow, and Singapore, all over. All right, well, then we'll end it there. Thank you all for tuning in. See you all tomorrow, maybe. <laughs>